Crypto is dabbling in politics and Meta shows off Cambria. Welcome to Metaversity, your first stop for everything on the new frontier of Metaverse and everything blockchain. I'm Chris with Kristen and we'll explore and learn this new world together. So midterm elections are coming up. Okay. And I think it's maybe the first election round that we've seen where crypto is playing a little bit of a part and maybe not crypto specifically, but S um, CEOs. You of, mean like more behind the scenes? Yes. More okay. behind the scenes. Lobbying for yeah. um, I, I mean, crypto they, related. They things. may have been lobbying in the past, but it, I don't think it's been something that I've seen a lot in the news. Not in the news. And, you know, maybe four years ago, I mean, crypto is, has been around for a little while, but it's still pretty new. Yeah. And it seems like it's taking a much larger center stage than it has um, in previous years. Well, that makes sense, right? Because as adoption rates go up, you know. You have you, more adoption rates and then You it's tend to see that. like More blockchain technology <clears throat> stuff's coming out, like, you know, NFTs and yeah. uh, virtual lands and all that stuff is, is coming about and... I, I know that's not the same as crypto, but I think it kind of gets all it's, wrapped together. It definitely together. is all like kind of bundled together as like one thing. And I think it's just because, you know, so much of this is um, kind of fundamentally it's blockchain. So it's like at its core, it's kind of the same technology just because mm -hmm. it's money or it's, you know, something else. It right. doesn't really it all make kinda, a difference. Yeah. And, and, you know, of course, um, the unfortunate thing is a lot of these politicians don't, understand what it is. Well, they, and that's really kind of at they, the heart of it. Why why things get bundled together right. like they do, right? They understand the fears and the fears are important to them because they want to address those with their constituents. 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 Yes, we'll get there. <laughs> um, they want to address those fears, but they don't understand what it is that those people fear yet. So they don't know how to handle it, I think. And that's kind of yeah. scary. But with the lobbying, that part's kind of interesting. So a couple examples that, that I came across, Erin um, Hutchin, and I think I said her name right, she's a Republican who is running in Southern Indiana in a, in a primary. And she said that uh, she was having this fear because all of a sudden the mysterious group started buying up a whole lot of ad space in her highly competitive race. And she actually experienced something very similar, um, I think back in 2016, I think was the year. And it turned out that um, it was her comp competition was basically putting a lot of negative ads at her and it kind of crushed her campaign. Okay. So she was like terrified that that's Makes what sense. it was going to be. What that, yeah, tends to be. And what it actually ended up being was a super PAC called the American Dream Federal Action. And it was financed by um, some cryptocurrency holders um, to promote, you know, crypto. crypto. Regulation, um, right? Like they're, yeah. I think, I well. Do I, they, does she have a platform on this that she's like, I you think know, been she, vocal about? I think she's. Um, are they just making assumptions? I think they're making assumptions that she would be more pro cryptocurrency than maybe some of the other candidates. And so they decided to basically back her in this race. Now, you know, you might think, well, you know, is that the same for, you know, all races uh, uh, or all Republicans getting backed? And it doesn't seem to be the case. But even with her, it seems um, a bit terrifying 
for her even her um, longtime consultant, probably campaign manager, uh, Cam Savage said that these types of things, because with the super PACs, you're not really supposed to be affiliated with them. Um, it's right. kind of how they get around some of the election laws on funding and um, advertising and that kind of stuff. Okay. So they're supposed to be separated. Um, but, you know, Cam was saying that, you know, these types of things, they come up and they can help or hurt you because even if maybe you were a little bit pro crypto, but the people around aren't there and then suddenly they're like, Hey, this person is going to go to Washington and fight the socialists and, and wave the, the cryptocurrency banner, you know, that could actually, you know, help or hurt your campaign depending on where you are in the country and that type of thing. That's true. Uh, I mean, kind of the interesting thing about how politics are kind of playing out right now is that there's no, no consistent political divide on the topic, right? Like you're not oh, saying you're not. not seeing consistently Republicans for and Democrats against, for example, like it's kind of across the board, like just a crapshoot. Oh yeah. And there's another example, the protect our future pack and the web three forward pack. Uh, those are both super PACs that have spent over $2 million to boost the Texas Democrat, uh, Jasmine Crockett in her March primary. And she's a Democrat. Okay. So there's, there's examples on both sides of the aisle where I think you just have maybe people that are for candidates that are forward thinking when it comes to web three and blockchain and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, they're picking the candidates who they think are going to promote it. And probably rightly so, because you have so many politicians that are terrified of it and just don't understand it, or they know that there's people out there that may not understand it and are scared. And so, you know, you probably would want to try to promote it. And I'm not a big fan of lobbying, right. but it is something that's, you it know, happens. Yeah. it happens and it's allowed. And so I, I totally understand why they would go and try to, you know, protect that type of thing. Yeah. I, I wish that the people that are in charge of kind of making and passing laws like this, uh, understood the technology a little bit better before they did that right. stuff. But, um, I mean, it, the reality is that they they just aren't, and they still are the ones that have to make yeah. all the rules and regulations. So it's now I hope that yeah. it continues to stay kind of this thing where there's some Republicans that support it and there's some Democrats that support it. Um, yeah. because you know, like a lot of politics, that's out there. Once the Republicans or the Democrats decide they're for or against, it often feels like the other side picks the opposite argument. Yeah. Usually. And so <clears throat> now it like... becomes a huge, you know, it becomes a huge fight for trying to get stuff done with it. Yeah. But if it stays bipartisan, you know, they probably will make smarter decisions about it. It's when it becomes partisan, then suddenly it's like, it doesn't even matter what you feel. It's like, well, it's like I'm Republican. I have to make this choice or it's I'm a Democrat and I have to make this choice. I'm either pro or, right. or against it. And there's no middle ground whatsoever. Yeah. I, I just keep hoping that like, if they're going to, if they're going to be, um, you know, doing this legislation that they just get a little bit more informed before they pick their sides, you know, they just keep hoping. Yeah. Politics is a kind of a screwball-y thing. Yeah. But I thought it would be interesting to kind of mention it because it does seem to be something that is 
um, bipartisan is not going to be the right word for it, but it, the people that are for or kind of pro uh, blockchain technology and cryptocurrency doesn't seem to be choosing a political side yet. Well, and that's assuming that she actually is. I mean, it's it sounds like, it, you know, there may have been some assumptions there. Yeah. I mean, it's it's hard, though, because if you're choosing between two people and she's not up against Elizabeth Warren, I'm just going to use her as an example, because if you know anything about crypto, you know, Elizabeth Warren is right. definitely opposed to it. Right. We've already even covered that. We've covered that a little bit. A yeah. Little so, bit, yeah. you know, if it's Elizabeth Warren versus just about anybody else, I would imagine, you know, the cryptocurrency people would pick the anybody else over Elizabeth Warren. Well, yes. But I mean, the thing is, is. I get that they have, I feel a little froggy this morning, so I apologize. I keep kind of clearing my throat, <clears throat> but they don't have to pick anybody necessarily. No. I mean, they're just trying, I, I assume they're doing some kind of legwork on their side that says, hey, this person should be a good candidate to back, you know, for whatever reason. Now, whether that's because they have openly said that they have crypto or they, you know, are for it or they understand the technology or don't, you know, like. I assume there's some kind of legwork done there by that super PAC or whatever. Oh, um, uh, yeah. I'm sure they do to, their legwork. To they decide their, that that person is worth backing because they don't have to back any of them. Well, I mean, they could probably make some fairly safe assumptions if that person backs bringing in technology right. into their state or if they're promoting like, technology and that type of thing. Yeah. I mean, if they're not even if it's about blockchain specifically, mm -hmm. you know, it could just be that they are kind of forward thinking and they are they embrace technology like maybe they're always up on the latest tech. And that mm -hmm. that could be enough to kind of sway somebody to be like, yeah, they're definitely somebody we should be thinking about backing. Right. Oh, yeah. And even backing them in a positive light for this thing could sway them from being neutral or slightly one side of neutral to their side. Mm -hmm. You know, and it probably <laughs> could have been as something as simple as uh, Fidelity had talked about how they're going to allow you to use cryptocurrency in your 401k. And there's been some politicians like Elizabeth Warren who have said, this is crazy and demanded answers from right. from their CEO and, you know, if this other candidate said, hey, you know, I don't, you know, if somebody wants to put that in their 401k, that's that's their decision. I mean, that seems like a lot more positive comment. Yeah. Than I mean, honestly, that the other. Yeah. There's a. Well, anyway, it it's one of those <laughs> things you just kind of keep following, you know, and you're like, oh, well, this is we'll see mm -hmm. how this plays out. I don't know if it's good or bad or whatever. I mean, I'm like you said, I'm, I'm not really a, a fan of that kind of side of politics like the mm -hmm. lobbying stuff and all of that because it just i don't know it just yeah. always feels icky to me but so and in other stuff we've got some some meta news um and i think we've been kind of negative on meta and, and and make fun of zuckerberg and his avatar a lot because um, it looks weird but we but don't we don't oh i do okay yeah. so i do um but there's some cool stuff coming coming from meta um this week so on a previous podcast, um, recent podcast, actually, we talked about how Meta was going to allow you to upload your NFTs to Instagram. Right. And there's some more details about that now. Um, and they've they've made some partnerships and some decisions there that have kind of um, warranted kind of an update to that. First of all, they've um, partnered up with Polygon. So they initially had said they were going to um, support four different blockchains. Right. Um, but it looks like they're they're really kind of moving more towards Polygon at the moment. 
Polygon made an announcement that they are partnering with Meta. And part of that, um, I think, has to do with the fact that they're more carbon neutral than some of the other blockchains that are out there at the moment. Right. Um, and then also Meta feels that they're a lot more scalable than like the Ethereum blockchain and, and some of the others. So those are the reasons they're citing. I'm sure arguments could be made as to, you know, uh, whether that's true or not and what what changes with Ethereum, you know, after the merge and, and that kind of thing. But, but that's kind of where they're going with uh, for now anyway. Okay. Um, I, I think it's kind of interesting. Um, part of it too is there was a, uh, Twitter post and it referred to digital collectibles and that's a decision that meta has made. Um, I'm not sure I agree with it or not. They want to go with a term digital collectibles instead of NFTs, uh, because they're, they're the same thing supposedly. Um, it's just meta feels like there's some confusion around the word fungible, which I totally get. Um, the difference between fungible and non-fungible is most people have never heard the word fungible until they got into cryptocurrency anyway. So uh, I, I can understand the, the confusion there. And for anybody who doesn't know, if you have a fungible token, that's like your Bitcoin. Every Bitcoin's worth the same. Um, every ETH coin is worth the same. They're, they're, they're the same thing. They're worth the same, but with NFTs, which are non-fungible tokens, um, each NFT is different. So they may have a different value. Right. So that's kind of the, the difference there. That's why one's non-fungible and one's fungible, but it's kind of a fun word to say, but I totally understand how somebody has never heard it before. Like I, the first time I heard the word fungible, I was like, that that's a made up word. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, anyway, so they're moving away. They, they want to try to rebrand it as a digital collectible is, is kind of what they're describing it, even though it's an NFT. Okay. So they're not changing what an NFT is. They're just calling it something different. Right. Right. Um, now if you, of course, they're going to put support NFTs on the gram, Instagram. Right. Which we talked about, which we, we already talked about. Now, one of the things we talked about is what's that mean? And we didn't know that last time. And I still think it's a little bit fuzzy as to what it really means. But apparently if you upload your NFT to Instagram, it'll, you know, show up just like something else you've posted to Instagram. Like in your feed. In your feed. But it will have a little shimmer effect to set it apart from your other posts. Right. So I don't, I don't know what that will be, but, you know, it'll be set it. You know, a size, some, so, stars, or some stars or yeah. something like that. So people right. looking at it will know it's an NFT. Um, right. When you tap it, the viewers will see it. They'll see the, the description. They'll see the creator and the current owner, which is pretty cool. So like, you know, in the end, the creator is actually like, it's a built-in credit mm -hmm. to them, which is. That's pretty nice. You really know, nice. Yeah. That's something, um, you know, many artists have complained about in the past is. They'll take photos for something for an event or something like that. The photos photos get posted, but then whoever uses those photos don't give out credit. They just publish the photos and they move yeah. on. Yeah, now, it if happens you, all the time. If you see a you know a mainstream blog or newspaper or magazine or whatever, you know they often do. But there's a lot of smaller organizations and people who do like wedding photos and all that kind of stuff, and they never get credit for any other stuff. And that's 
that may seem a little bit, um, for some people like kind of a little nitpicky, but it's for a lot of artists, that's their way of advertising. So if somebody says, Hey, I got my photos with, uh, my wedding photos with, uh, Julia Beamer photography, then they want to, um, get credit for that because it's like, you know, it's their way of advertisements, their way of word of mouth, that kind of thing. Right. So it's nice to have that built in. Yeah. I think it's pretty great. I mean, in the end, like the reason why people should be excited about NFTs as an artist is kind of this facet of it of, you know, you, well, I mean, I guess there's a, there's multiple avenues that make it really great for artists, but this credit kind of aspect of it is, it's super important, honestly. I mean, I watch, I have so many artists being in marketing and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, having a background photography and that kind of thing years ago. Like I totally get it. I totally get it. All your stuff gets ripped off all the time. I mean, we just had another friend who, you know, makes a living as an artist. Like he's, that's a hard thing to do. He's, you know, supporting his family doing that. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then, and he does the, he did the artwork for what it was the new Metallica shirts, right. That came out. Right. And, um, and then all of a sudden he's posting stuff like, look at this crap. It's like all my stuff is being stolen. I get no credit yeah. or whatever. He did the the artwork for uh, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. And for the record, uh, the Metallica didn't steal any of their stuff. No, um, no, no. Yeah. yeah. That was that was all above Sorry board. Sorry if I and, worded that weird. Yeah. But yeah. Like he made the shirts for Metallica. Metallica was selling them. Some other person or people like mm-hmm. ripped it off and started selling their own stuff as if it was legit. Right. And it wasn't. Um, but you know, and, and he made fan art for some, you know, for Quentin Tarantino stuff because he's always loved that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then Quentin Tarantino's group like ripped it off and yeah. they were pr- using it to promote their NFTs, which is some BS that just like infuriates me, honestly, on behalf of the artist. Right. <laughs> but you know, if you have, if you can create your, your NFTs and you have your ownership, like you have that. Yep. Instant credit. Instant credit. And, you know, it, you've it's, always and got... And protection, honestly. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and with the future NFTs, you publicity. might even be able to get, you know, additional revenue from that. But even if you don't, you know, as an artist, it's kind of... It's always neat to be able to know where... What your art is doing or where it's being used. Right. And, you know, NFTs have the potential to be able to do that. So, you know, you may sell your NFT to someone else and then they resell it and then that person that they sold it to then makes a billboard out of it. I mean, it might be kind of neat to know that. Or, you know? or yeah, they, they actually use it in, uh, you know, the metaverse in some way. Like mm-hmm. maybe there's being able to kind of see what people do with it. Yeah. And that's it's also helpful. Future, you know, you know, it's, it's kind of neat from, you know, kind of an ego stroke to see how people use it, but also as maybe an artist or a marketer, you know, the information you gain from that could be helpful too, because if you see how people use your artwork, you can maybe tailor that work oh, more absolutely. towards that, yeah. that ability. I mean, so like, there's a lot of reasons to think about it. You're making art and they, you see that people really love to see it, uh, you know, as used in this way, that mm-hmm. definitely changes the game for you too. Cause you're like, oh, well I should do more of that. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, kind of the other side of it, which I, I think you just kind of touched on there, which is the um the funding part i mean it's hard to make it as an artist oh yeah but if you are creating your uh your kind of smart contract back end right so right. that every time a transaction happens you get a piece of that 
Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a big piece. It could be a tiny piece. You get right. the initial, obviously, sale. But then once it moves from hand to hand to hand, you always get a little bit. Yep. And I think that that's kind of um, an important thing that, you know, I mean, I, I don't know how many people actually understand that that could be happening for mm-hmm. them. It isn't necessarily innately in there. You get to pick and choose what you want included in, you know, your NFT depending on who you go with, how you launch it, all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, you know, kind of the last uh, little little detail on this is uh, they're also toying with the idea of allowing people to sell NFTs on their platforms, um, Instagram and Facebook. And that's kind of uh, a cool thing, too, because right now OpenSea is probably the largest marketplace for NFTs, and they have right about a million users. Um, and Facebook has 250. So if, you know, at some point meta, um, I should say meta has 250 million users. Um, I think it's billion, isn't it B? I saw, uh, where I pulled this said mil, but you're probably right. Uh, 250 sounds really small. Yeah. Um, but they have a lot more users. Yeah. They, they dwarf open C is probably the bigger point. And you know, to allow people to have another marketplace for their NFTs that has a, a lot more, a, a lot larger user base is going to be great for those artists. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think what's... um. Now we'll just have to see how greedy Meta gets with the selling of the NFTs when it comes to that. Yeah. I mean, even just the fact that w- without that part of it, I yeah. think just the display of that is really cool. Like it helps you get the word out. There's a place to actually, you know... Promote it. That's promote Instagram. Your- that's... Like to use your NFT. A lot of people, I mentioned this, I feel like uh, the last few times it's come up, people don't understand, okay, so I create the NFT and then what happens? Yeah. Like what, to what end? Why, what purpose right. am I doing this? And this this helps you understand, like I get it, it's not where it's ultimately going to end up, you know, how we'll ultimately likely end up using NFTs in the metaverse, but to have a vehicle to help people kind of connect that dot, I think is really great. Well, I think it's a, it may have already been happening. Like you don't hear, you know, what's going on in the the boardrooms and the planning sessions and things like that at Meta. And kind of one of our critiques about Meta is they're very centralized, but partnering up with like Polygon, considering NFT sales, and then, you know, headed in the direction they're going with like their headsets that we're going to talk about in a second you know, that's all opening the doors for a potential mind shift over there as well. Now, there's no telling if they're going to or if they're just going to try to connect some blockchain stuff to their centralized platform. I mean, that's kind of where it's at right now. They're just trying to figure out how to to get it to fit. But, you know, they they may be starting to realize we need to start shifting this other direction a little bit more um, to be successful. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously any shift at all is good, but they're not likely to go full on kind of that direction. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that yeah. feels very highly unlikely. Oh yeah. But yeah, it's, it's great. It's really great. So this week also, um, Zuckerberg previewed their project Cambria headset. Yes. Um, like a I'm, day ago or something. I still want to know what it looks like. Now we did a, we did another podcast where somebody supposedly got to see it and we linked to, you know, what their interpretation of what they saw, their 3d model, what they saw was, uh, but they're still hiding it. The they, there's a preview video you can yeah, go it's, watch, and it's, it's all weird because he like pixelated. Yeah, the, it's all pixelated out, so it's kind of funny. Um, 
makes you wonder. But it's, it's like, obvious that it's going to look very similar to the Oculus. Yeah, the Quest. same styling, that type of thing. So you didn't really get to see the the whole styling of it. But um, we had some details in the last podcast about some of the tech. It's going to have some, you know, pancake lenses instead of the, the big, thick, um, crazy lenses that the Oculus right. has had in the past. Um, it's going to have, have some high-resolution cameras and that kind of thing. But what they showed off in the video that was really cool was the ability to do uh, color pass-through. Or yeah. so, so basically, it has these high-resolution cameras on the front of it, and it passes the images that the camera sees to your eyes. So it's not like a augmented reality headset where you have a clear lens that you've got some sort of projection projected well, on. I think that's an important distinction. Like but, we've talked about AR glasses and what that's going to mm-hmm. be like. And um, I it's hard sometimes to like back up and go, okay, I know what I'm saying and I understand the words that I'm describing, but I don't think I've actually gone. I don't think either of us have actually gone into depth about the difference here. Okay. So imagine a world where you're wearing AR glasses And that is just like wearing your regular glasses now. To everyone else, it looks just like the Oakley. Could be like a pair of sunglasses or prescription glasses or whatever. Mm -hmm. So they they look identical to normal glasses. And we've talked about people that are creating those and what we expect Apple to give us is going to be something like that. But there's this other kind of option, which is not likely to be something that you wear all the time. Like you the AR glasses would be down up and down the street. No. Right. But if I'm working remote and I'm trying to work in a mixed reality or a VR setting, either or, um, those headsets are totally enclosed. And, um, that's what we're getting with quest Two, quest and, and came project Cambria. Right. Is we're getting kind of this enclosed thing. Um, it's big, it's clunky. It's not something that you can wear when you're, out and about, but, um, it is still, it still has a place kind of in, well, it has a place in the space right now. And in this metaverse I, space. I think it's mixed reality. I think space. why we're going to see this with meta is it's, it's something that we can create now that creates that, what we think will be the future augmented reality experience, Yeah. but, but provide it now. Um, now it's got its limitations. You're not going to, like you said, you're not going to go walk. I mean, you probably could, but you're not going to go walking up and down the street wearing this thing. You're going to look silly. I mean, I get that they're, they're talking about, you know, counterbalancing the system a little bit better to make Mm -hmm. sure that it's more comfortable to wear for a long time. I struggle with the quest because I, after about an hour, I have a headache. Right. And I, I don't know if that's necessarily because of the heaviness and how much weight is on the front part of your face or if it's. Um, maybe it's the fact that I can't seem to get the vision part of it dialed in. Right. So that Mm -hmm. everything's just slightly blurry. And after a while that causes headaches, but either way, um, you know, I've played a lot with our quest and I've used it for work too. Mm -hmm. um, kind of the ability to put this on and even if you're still using a keyboard, which I like to do because I like the tactile, you know, feedback of a keyboard. Um, in a work setting, you have like you have an unlimited number of screens that you can put around you. So like I don't have to have I, I mean, I could surround myself with stuff and be able to quick more quickly work, more efficiently mm-hmm. work. 
Um, you could have meetings in this, I, with the Cambria stuff. I mean, I could very easily envision not having to actually go to an office anymore. Well, they talk about how they're going to do eye tracking and they have AI that's going to look at your facial expressions and then can mimic those same facial expressions on your avatar. Right. Which so if you're if you're visibly angry, yeah. somebody will see that on your avatar. Exactly. So now it's like um, it's just the same as being in person. And I think mm-hmm. that's probably one of the most exciting parts about it. And I know that, you know, that's work. Well, how's that exciting? And it's like, because I actually have a use case for it. Right. I know that I would use it like that. Mm-hmm. And I can see how incredibly useful that would be for a lot of people, especially you know, post pandemic, post quarantining and all of that stuff, how, how many people want to stay remote. They want to work remote. It's been really great having that kind of freedom. Well, when you're in kind of that virtual world, it it adds to it because if, if I'm, if I am in a VR environment and I walk up to somebody and in my VR environment and my avatar is talking to their avatar and they say something that let's say makes me unhappy um, and I have to hit a button that makes my avatar frown. Or that's, you have to that's physically, kinda, you have to actually verbally say it. Or I have to say like, that, Hey, that, that's, that's that, crappy or that's whatever crappy, it whatever. is. Yeah. That doesn't work. But if my avatar just mimics my facial expression, I'm kind of like, what'd you just say? I mean, you kind of make that facial expression. Yeah. And, I mean, and your avatar does it too. That's great. Cause that's real time. And you'll feel, you probably will feel a little bit of that emotion yeah. versus, and the it's other way. and it's better than you know a Zoom meeting. Yes, you know because you feel more like you're there. I mean that's I really liked working in the office together mm-hmm. um, with my coworkers and my boss or whatever. Like I really enjoy that experience um, for multiple reasons. And when we went remote, I missed every single one of them. Like that human connection is not the same over a keyboard or through a camera. And we we tried to use Quest to meet virtually. And it just, it always felt just, it felt a little bit clunky. It just didn't, it didn't quite, it's not quite there. It's, right. It's, a, it's better than I anticipated it would be, but it wasn't enough. And so we ended up, you know, um, sometimes back in the office together, sometimes still remote. And I I just see this possibility of, Cambria coming out and like how it could actually change that game a little bit better for the right. better. Well, and you know, the issues that you have, you know, with the old quest is you didn't have any of that facial tracking. So your, your yeah. avatars ex- emotions, you had well, to control those with your hands or through yeah, something else. Uh, like moving um, around in the space, like in a workspace was a little bit clunky and right. it, it, you have to, I, like you have to sort of think about it and it's not like I, I don't have to think about if I needed to stand up and write on the whiteboard, I just stood up and wrote on the whiteboard right. at work. But like, and we use the crap out of that in order to brainstorm and strategize and all of that. But in the setting with this, like it had, it just had a lot of limitations and maybe that's just because the apps that were available while we were testing were still, you know, early apps and, while they had some functionality, they lacked others and what mm-hmm. they had was clunky and whatever. Well, and the, the problem with Zoom is everybody was a postage stamp and the more people that 
joined the Zoom meeting, the smaller everybody got. Well, sure. You um, had to pick and choose who was who you were watching. And then the unfortunate thing is oftentimes I would need to do something else on one of my screens. And so I either had to pick looking at the people or taking notes or well, that's kind of the other part of working like, my presentation or whatever. And so I yeah. ended up covering up everybody. Well, I mean, that's kind of the other side of this. Like when you, you think about, well, what are the benefits of, you know, this over that experience, right? Mm-hmm. I, when I am in person, I'm usually way more attentive. Oh yeah. To that, that meeting or that conversation or whatever versus because it's rude. Yeah, it's if absolutely rude. But if I'm if I look like I'm looking at you, but I'm actually doing other work, I'm not paying attention to you. But you can't tell. In yeah, Zoom. you can't you can't tell. And it's very easy if you're not the one presenting. Um, I've been on plenty of Zoom meetings where I can actually see the people, and I can tell they're not. Exactly. You know, you, you see it go on mute, and then you see them like you know talking off to the side or, or whatever. Or, or, or worse, answering I mean, phone calls. People would set they would take a screenshot of themselves sitting here, and then they would make that their background so they could get up and go do other stuff, and you didn't even know they weren't there. I think that's kind of the extreme, but I it is, but I it have, happened. I've definitely been on a, a, a Zoom call before where. I, I guess they just didn't even realize that you could hear, but they would take like another phone call and they're like on their phone. And then everything on the Zoom meeting stops because we're all <laughs> listening to the person that's on their cell right. phone and doesn't even realize that we can hear their whole well, conversation. Yeah. Or, or, you know, we were on a, a parent, you know, school meeting or whatever. And one of the teachers just up and left. Yeah, just up and left. He, and You know, I get it. You got stuff to do and this is... Nobody's going to notice. No, yeah, except we all watched you get up and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and if you're the teacher we're on here for, and just because somebody else happened to be talking doesn't mean that you like are excused. Yeah. So. <laughs> and if we were in person, that would not have happened. Right. So, you know, it, it's interesting to think, okay, well, so if we, if we shift a little bit and we kind of go into this new like mixed reality world, is it going to feel more like with the pass through, what that means is it's taking all of the stuff it's seeing in mm-hmm. your actual environment and feeding that into the the um, virtual right. headset. So well, and, and then overlaying your digital stuff. So now we could be sitting together across from each other virtually the same as we are today in person. Right. Well, and they are kind of pitching this is uh, for commercial use. Um you know, not, it's not going to be a consumer thing initially. Like it may have consumer applications. Well, they're but doing they're, that because the price tag is, I yeah. mean, this, they're, they're the saying it's going to be north of $800, right? Yeah. They say significantly higher, significantly in quotes, higher, higher than, than $800, which. So they started at 800 ooh. and said it's going to be higher than that. So is that yeah. like, what's significantly higher? Like $1,200, 1400 1600 I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I, I, they say it's going to be out later this year, so we'll find out. Probably before Christmas, if I had to guess. But well, they're they're kind of they're kind of funny though. They they say it's for probably professional and commercial uses, but then well, I they, see too remote like specifically aimed at remote workers and mixed reality enthusiasts. So like, yeah. hey, I'm in your target demographic. So yeah, you'll totally you, know, you might be in there. Yeah. But it's funny because they say that, and then the example they give is a fitness instru- a virtual fitness instructor. <laughs> in your living room and it's okay. like okay well yeah it's like oh okay so yeah i mean i think I'm, about it more in more practical terms like like i mentioned about the work so but it makes me eat my words a little bit i think uh, a few weeks ago i was saying i hadn't really seen a whole lot of innovation from meta but you know after seeing that demo 
Well, uh, yes, it I feels mean, much better. Um, this, this honestly, after all the time we've spent with Quest and and everything, like this is not a shocker. The no. Quest had passed through. It was just like really shitty, black and white, grainy. Well, it was never whatever. meant to be passed through to begin with. They just kind of found well, a way to did work. It, they it wasn't meant to be this kind of experience. Right. It was meant to just help you be able to navigate your real world environment while you're playing VR, not to enhance that VR experience, but just to make it safe for you. Mm-hmm. So you could real quick do pass through and see that you were about to walk into a wall or a piece of furniture. Right. And that was all it was. And it, it wasn't the best picture. I mean, it was really kind of, it was almost like they made it blurry or mm-hmm. whatever. And so like, but when we saw that experience for the first time, I remember going, Oh, I know where they're headed. Right. Like this is what they're going to do. And then lo and behold, that's exactly what they demoed. Yep. So, um, it's it's cool, but it's not unexpected. Mm-hmm. I don't think. If you've been following them for years, it's in line. Yeah. You know. No. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think I, you know, I still think it's a uh, kind of a neat leap forward. Um, not a huge leap, but a leap forward in yeah. what's available uh, for I think, consumer you know, markets. In the end, if even if the price tag is significantly higher than eight hundred dollars, there'll still be a, a large segment of people that can get their hands on one and play with it and that all that does is help them understand kind of where we're headed what the technology is going to be like what it could be like help them imagine this new future because we are headed there this isn't an well, if this is a when you know if and you that think when about is getting it is closer a, every time you see this technology come out well so far with cambria actually to put it maybe in a different perspective um this just popped in my head you know it sounds like something north of eight hundred dollars is expensive but, you know, kind of thinking about it in terms of if, like, you have PlayStation VR. And I know we're talking about two different worlds here. Right. But PlayStation VR, if you had nothing already and you wanted to get into that, you'd have to buy a PlayStation 4 or 5. You'd have to buy the, the remotes. The headset, the remotes. And, and the headset. And you'd be north of $800. And then the games. And then the games. Yeah. So you'd you'd be in that ballpark, too. Yeah. Significantly. Higher than 800. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So I think because the way I've seen it, kind of like Quest 2, it's kind of its own thing. So if you supposedly, if you get the uh, Cambria, at least the way they've kind of described it so far, you, you've got what you need. Kind of like Quest 2. You, you yes. get, you get, you buy the Quest 2 and you have everything you need. Yeah, you're not having to be, you know, tethered or, or hooked up to some other device somewhere. It's, it's all kind of self contained. Yeah. Uh, I, I think if you're thinking about it in terms of that, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's it's in line with everything else and that's not necessarily affordable for everyone, but that's okay because the next iteration of this technology will be cheaper, it'll be better, whatever, and they can bring the price back down. And once they do that, it's more mass adoptable, right? Right. Which is exactly where they've kind of landed with the Quest, uh, mm -hmm. with the Quest 2. I mean, it's like two or $300. I think it's $299, you know whatever when you get to that price point i get that that's still kind of pricey and it is but for a gaming system it's definitely not no no not at all and for a work system if you're especially if your work is paying for it like they're able to easily afford that and like bring their remote workers into a yeah uh and when they they say enthusiast i mean people drop two grand on a gaming pc like it's all day long. I like mean, it's nothing. And then if it's significantly higher than $800, it could be a grand. Yeah. And that still counts as significantly higher. And that is cheaper than 
HoloLens that's cheaper than Magically by a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, you still... Yeah. So, it sounds expensive at first, but when you start thinking about it and what else you would have to... Yeah, I can't wait to get my hands on it. I know I will. One way or the other, I'll have my hands on these. Hoping that, you know, work picks this one up too, just like we've done in the past. But, like, you know, I'm excited for it. Like, I'm here for it. Let's do it. Let's have some uh, mixed reality meetings. Yeah. If Meta wants to send us one, feel free to. I'll apologize for saying that Mark Zuckerberg's avatar looks like an alien. Um, publicly <laughs> to see if we can get a headset. Yeah. Well, since you reiterated that you've said it, <laughs> but we'll I apolog- see how that goes. I apologize. Go- That's not the same. And I didn't say he did. I said his avatar did. His avatar is frightening. Yeah, well, you know. anyway, they're not sending us nothing now. <laughs> so to wrap up, I, I thought this is, there's, not a whole lot of details, like a lot of this new stuff that's coming out initially. I think they hold a lot of people hold stuff back. But there's a company, Lighthouse Labs, uh, recently, uh, they're Montreal-based, and they recently did a, a fundraise and got $7 million in, in seed funding uh, ahead of what they say will be a summer launch. Now, we're, we're kind of like getting real close to summer, so I don't know if it's beginning of summer or end of summer. But they are wanting to launch the first Metaverse search engine. Um, the quote from the CEO, Jonathan Brunn, it, you know, he says that right now discovery in the metaverse feels more like gaming where you need to jump from one game to the next to find things than the internet where you can access everything from a single point of entry. And I totally agree with that. I think we actually said something very similar, a podcast yeah. or two that, you know, you have to it feels very exit out, log out, log back into something else. You know, you're not your stuff traveling. didn't transfer. You didn't transfer really. Like yep. you just yeah. It's it's so clunky right now. And that's what's so funny about people that they're like, Yeah, I have a I'm the metaverse or whatever. Yeah. It's like, you know, you're just another thing so I have to log into. I'm pretty excited to kind of see what their vision of a metaverse search engine is like. Um Yeah. And, and how that works. So it takes a, away some of that feeling of leaving one world and entering another, you know, how it, how they feel like it's going to kind of smooth that transition out. So I, I feel like they're describing it as a search engine, but it, it's got to be much, much more than that. Because like Google, if you think about what Google does, you know, you type in a search and it takes you somewhere. But, you know, if you're experiencing something after you find whatever it is that you want to find on Google, you're still often visiting a website or logging into an application or something like that and then logging out. So you still have a little bit of that, you know, I went here and there and all that kind of stuff. Right. They're talking about something that feels a little bit more fluid. So even though they're describing a search engine, I'm wondering if it, there's much more to it than that. But but I guess we'll see. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean... Where you are, you're right. We're actually like fast approaching whatever deadline it is they have there. So, <laughs> but you know, to try to have their best success, they are working with 21 different metaverse companies. Uh, they didn't specify what they are. However, um, one of the sandbox founders is a general partner with a company called Sparkle, who is one of the investors that helped them raise money. Okay. So, it's not a huge leap to believe that one of those metaverse companies are working with is sandbox. Right. So well, that would make sense. So that's encouraging um, yeah. as well. So I don't know who else they're working with and, and what types of companies, if they're trying to do things like uh, work with sandbox type startups, or if right. they're trying to also work with companies like meta as well. Uh, but you know, I guess we'll see whenever yeah, they release. I think, yeah, I, I think that one's kind of 
it's interesting, but it's it's not enough information necessarily yet to tell us exactly no, what's happening. Not at all, but it's the first time I've seen somebody say, hey, we're making the Metaverse search engine, and it's also something close. Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll see how it goes. Summer's around the corner. So, with that... I mean, it feels like it here anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, in Florida, you know, it's summer year-round. Yeah, pretty much. Yes, with that, subscribe. Don't forget Follow to... Follow us, uh, leave a comment. Please yeah, rate us. Tell us all your review. friends and family. All right, and we'll catch you on the next one.